Just wanted to let everybody know that we recorded this podcast right before the news of Kobe Bryant's death. As you're probably aware, Kobe was a lifelong soccer fan who spent part of his youth in Italy, a big AC Milan supporter. He was an ambassador for the game, and he loved the sport just as much as you and I do. So spare a thought today uh, for his family and for the families of the other victims in Sunday's helicopter crash in Los Angeles. Here's episode number 98 of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. We gonna let the band deal with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello, Peter. In my A status. <laughs> Old school. Uh huh. What's happening? Okay. Shit. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. It is beautiful. Uh, here in Fishtown, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. We've got Baxter in the house. Uh, he's probably going to go in and out of the studio, the always soccer in Philadelphia studios as we record. And the voice that you heard earlier, uh, somebody who I would describe as a friend of the program. He has not been on the show yet, but I wanted to get him on. Uh, he is a frequent uh, question asker, a master <laughs> in uh, Dutch football. Everybody, it's Richard McGovern making his program debut. What's up, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm also Jim Curtin famous, don't forget. You are a Jim Curtin fan. You got, uh, what did he do, call you out in mm-hmm. a, uh, or was it Richard Saunders? It was or both he, of he us. He called out both of you guys. Um, he, he's got an anti-Richard agenda. <laughs> he probably just was trying to think in the first two Richards that came to mind where you were you and him and he's like I'm just going to call out both of these guys at the, at the same time and we'll do it that way. Someday when I have like 15 minutes free I'm actually going to go through I'm going to create a matrix and I'm going to find Jim Curtin's burner. <laughs> <laughs> he does, it's well I thought it was funny that he admitted to doing that because uh uh how do how do I say this without blowing the lid? But I I think I think the um people knew back in the day that he had a burner because um there were there would be things that he referenced like in press conferences yeah. and stuff like that that you knew weren't discussed previously and you're like oh he okay, okay he's looking on plus, twitter plus there's no way drexel's men's soccer has that many followers it's just you know <laughs> it could, very well be, could very well be where it's coming from so uh, a bit of background here what people may or may not remember is that rick and i uh you were my original um we originally did radio way back before this podcast was ever started and before I was doing a uh, Philly soccer show with Greg and Eli. Um, we were on Vuvuzela. The World Soccer the Show. The World Soccer Show with uh, with our guy Eric Nash mm-hmm. back in the day. Simon Allen uh, was on that show too. The Simon's, Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama of soccer who has been on this show three or four times now. So uh, when it comes to OGs, mm-hmm. uh, you and me. We used to drag ourselves up to City Line and... City Put line. on a little bit of a show. The 555 building. The 555 building. I remember there was one show. It was usually, yeah, it was good because we'd have guests in there and then there was Simon was always on the phone. So there'd be like three or four of us on there. I remember like one day though where Simon wasn't available. I think Eric had to leave or leave early or something. So I think you and I just had an hour of just talking, just yeah. talking to, I don't even know what the hell. I think we talked about Bayern Munich for like 30, 30, <laughs> 30 minutes. You made a point about Ajax. Least we popular <laughs> show ever. <laughs> And I think like after at the end of it, we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Wow, we uh, we somehow got got through that. We didn't have anything written down. Mm-hmm. We didn't have anything planned beforehand, but we did like uh, twenty minutes on uh, Manuel Neuer and how far off the line he was supposed to be or not supposed to be. Sweeper keeper, yo. Can Philip Lom play left back and defensive mid at the same time? The fact that Philip Lom never won a Ballon d'Or is one of the great travesties." Of the uh, decade we just left, by a clear bias, you know, against uh, def- in favor of attackers. And, yeah, yeah, you know, because the people don't, people can't, uh, people don't see the beauty in in left back or of a, a demid, a flexible guy who. Yeah, I mean, if you compare like his career to any anybody's career, it's just as just as deep and just as. Philip uh, uh, Lom, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo had his lowest uh, average score. Uh, per game against Bayern Munich, and it was marked when Philip Lom played against him versus when Philip Lom didn't. It was like Chris yeah. Terry and, and Yaramir Yager back in the uh, day. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. one guy on earth that could shut him down. Back you know? when um, Philadelphia Flyers hockey was worth uh, worth watching, uh, and people actually still showed up. God, but we that's are a, old. That's another, to- <laughs> that's another topic for another podcast. This is... Uh, after all, the always soccer in Philadelphia program. Except when it's hockey. Except when it's <laughs> hockey. Uh, episode, I think this is episode number 98, so we're getting close to 100. We're getting close to the season opener is like a month away. Cause it's January 26th right now. They're starting in Fe- on February 29th or something. Uh, Champions Shit. League is already starting, isn't it? Champions League is starting up, yeah. So um, 
Because Seattle's got a game in a day or two. That's crazy, isn't it? I feel like they keep moving it up and up and up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like the people who want to move to the FIFA calendar, they were – actually, we're not going to talk about that. We'll do that another time. Eventually, it's going to be year-round anyway, and it won't make a difference. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Going down to Dallas is a good way to start. Well, this is the Philadelphia Union podcast, so we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Union. Um, The first week of training – of camp. I say training camp. Training camp is really only like – you know, one one week now uh, down in Delaware, beautiful facility where the Blue Coats uh, play down mm. there. Have you been down there before? Uh, no, I have not, but I've seen a lot of the photos. It's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it it's really impressive. I think it's really interesting that when the Sixers built the facility, they added in the soccer pitch they already. Had soccer it in tells mind, you yeah. about the cross training there. I mean, they used to say the basketball athletes had to be the greatest athletes in the world because mm-hmm. of the skill set required, but the crossover between soccer training, basketball training, soccer analytics, basketball analytics. Especially recovery, yeah, is I mean it, it's really really close, and it, it really speaks to that. It's come a long way in that department. Um, so wh- the news from this week, we got uh, in no particular order here. Let's just kind of take them one bullet at a time. Twenty-one-year-old uh, Mate Urovets signed official. Well, we knew that was happening. There was uh, Instagram stuff. He was at a, he was at a Philadelphia Eagles game. Uh, was, got his own beer. Rumored. Yeah, that's right. He's got his own beer now already. Uh, sexy Saison mm. at the Larimer, our friends at the Larimer. Um, 21-year-old defensive midfielder, Harris Madunian's replacement. They paid a million dollars, a million euros, I guess I should say, uh, in fees. What do you make of the signing? Uh, you know, if this was a year ago, I think I'd be more critical of it. But at the same time, you look at the effect Kai Wagner had coming yeah. out of a similar situation in a lot yeah. of ways. And also, I mean, you have to trust Ernst at this point. If he's going to commit a million euros somewhere, you have to trust that, you know, at this point that he's identified somebody. What I find interesting is the commitment overall to the holding mid position. Yeah. I mean, you bring in uh, the sorcerer. You bring in... Uh, El Brujo Martinez. Yeah, El Brujo. Although I still think the translation should be Warlock. Okay. Um, but you bring him in. You spend a million euros to bring in Oravets. Yeah. Do you see one of them as a, a holding mid, one as more of, of an eight as opposed to a five? Yeah. Do you see one of them splitting time in center mid? I mean, what are you, are you just hoping to develop one of the two? Because it seems like a hell of a financial commitment if you're looking to get one out of two there. Yeah, I mean, it would seem like Oravets is the guy that they see as a starter. I mean, they've described Martinez as more of a project, which is interesting to me because one guy's 26 years old, the other guy's 21 years old. Hmm. Um, you know, Ernst's background is more, you know, European-based. And, I mean, if you look at the clubs that they have um, came from, uh, Zulaya down in Venezuela versus uh, whatever the hell. Uh, I can't even say the name of the <laughs> Slovakian club. DAC Strainov Struna or something like that. But um, kind of uh, an interesting juxtaposition that it does bring you back to Kai Wagner, where this time last mm-hmm. year, I, I think it's funny too, because I think you and I would uh, very easily be categorized as two of the more cynical people to come from the Philadelphia Union community. Or I'm or probably skept- one of the more cynical people in the greater Philadelphia skeptical, area. Skeptical, suspicious, whatever, whatever word you want to use in there. But that does the Wagner thing, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, the Wagner thing does kind of change how you look at it because we were sitting here this time last year i don't know how you were but i expected I like, him to be a backup I was like who the fuck is this kid in the third german division mm-hmm. it was like a, a union hulk smash joke the regional itself, league you know? yeah yeah and um but you do have to look at it differently now because of how wagner mm-hmm. turned out yeah and and you wonder too i mean viewing the older uh latin american player as a project is that a blind spot for a European-based executive because he's used to bringing in Latin American players and viewing them as projects. Yeah, yeah. Does he see this the, this guy as a certain thing versus this player from this continent as a certain it, thing? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and it might be stylistic too. I mean, obviously, we haven't had a chance to dig into the you know the different styles played in the Venezuelan league, but maybe it's just a case where he's going to need more time to adapt to the MLS style. That's true. That's whereas true. an Eastern European player is going to come in and be used to a more physical style of play right off the bat. Yeah, it's easy. I I think this uh, you know high press attack transitional play Gagan the young pressing, kids yeah. gig and press is kind of uh yeah it's it's true it, if, if you could draw correlations between a young european kid playing over there and then kind of coming over and and playing how the union want to play how the red bulls have played in recent years stuff like that versus you look at like what uh you know atlanta for example was under tata before frank de came over and you saw mm-hmm. how, how much the the, the 
change was there in like you know South American star players with more rigid different yeah. European kind of tactics you know and you don't really have a comparison with the union because because Ernie was you know a, a Dutch American guy um, Ernst is a German dude um, Diego Gutierrez who was like just a glorified but yeah who knows what at what knows level what of he, what he, he really had. was yeah. yeah when they were when they were signing Josue Martinez and Leonard Pahoy and guys mm. like that. Um, well, back then you have to figure how much were they simply filling spots based on the amount of money they had, yeah, and how much yeah. were they actually trying to fill a style? You know, Novak, yeah. you know, God bless him, but he was trying to fill, um, he was trying to fit a style to a group of players, and with Ernie and now with Ernst, they're trying to fit the players to a specific style. Yes, and yeah. and you can, I mean, you can have an argument which of those is the most effective way to do it. You go up to Champions League, for example. You look at uh, Ancelotti going to Bayern. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You know, trying to fit a style to a group of players that just did not fit it. Right, right. You know, right. It, it's the same. There's you can have philosophical differences, but I mean, we've seen what's been more effective here. Yeah, very true. Um, Jamir Montero coming back. I, I'm was stunned actually when it came out because I'm just like sitting here thinking, ah, it's not, you know, I don't I know if he, he wants to gone. be back here. What's the money going to look like? So, I mean, obviously on the surface, you got to, it, it's, it's very symbolic to me in a way to say that the union did something that we, people like you and me have been bitching about for years, which is saying like, Hey, if you like a player and you want to go out and get him, you're going to have to pay for him, you know? And, you know, symbolically they went out and kept a guy here and went out and, and did pay that amount of money, $2 million mm. to keep him here. So, but it's interesting to me because, like, well, I, I feel, you know, I, I if, if I'm a union fan, I would feel great about the fact that they are taking the extra step now. And when in years past, they would have just cut ties with the guy and let him go back to Europe and whatever. We're going to try to find Doge Cal all over Doge Cal, another Doge Cal, right? Um, but you know, I mean, when you do when you do parse it down, it's like, look, if they have a small budget and you're using a, a chunky part of your budget to bring back a guy who was already here on less money last year. It does kind of seem you you don't want the optics of like your big off-season signing <laughs> to 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 be the guy, the guy who was who, who was just yeah. here. Yeah, well, you know I, mean? I I completely agree. It's one of those things where symbolically it's brilliant. Yes, it's what yeah. you want to see from the club—a commitment to keep the players that fit the system. Mm-hmm. But there are two elements to it that that I have to disagree with. Number one is your biggest transfer fee you've ever paid. Which, by the way, is you know one fifth of now DC United's biggest transfer yeah. fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not to not to <laughs> be negative, uh, but no, it's realistic. <laughs> it was you paid two million dollars for a transfer fee for a glue guy like Bedoya for a guy that's going to hold the team together, but he's not going to score and he's not going to be a tremendous defensive player. I mean, yeah. he's a, he's a really solid ball winner. Right, right, right. He's right. good at distribution. Yeah, we don't know if he can play the ten. Which it looks like from the way the midfield looks is what he's going to have to he do. He might be playing chunks of that. Yeah, yeah. And number two, you're paying let's say three million total transfer fee and salary, and you have not actually gotten better. Well, that's the that's the thing. You're right? treading because, water there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 good. It's symbolic. It's something that needed to happen. But if you're going to spend two million dollars in a transfer fee, then go much? out and spend another two million dollars and bring in a, an all you know an all world attacker. Yeah, I, I hear that, and it's interesting because you mentioned Bedoya when you were talking about that, and their previous high transfer fee was also for yeah exactly a, a, a glue guy. And 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 the thing is, Bedoya came in, and after a year, everybody's questioning him. You know, is there value in spending the money in that position? Is there value uh, yeah. in spending the money on that player? And they had to bring in more players of that caliber in that price range to bring him out, to bring out his talent. Right, because you can't glue together crap. Exactly. I mean, for lack yeah. of a better, for lack of a better no, word. No, no, it's, it's insensitive. It's I mean, absolutely true. But yeah, then yeah. the question becomes: Okay, then what player are you bringing in? Than to raise up that game to the next level after that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, yeah. bringing in Montero and Madunian in, you know, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> you know, bringing them in made Bedoya raise up his game. Yeah. Then where's the player that's going to raise Montero's game? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. Um, Elsino does come back. They got him to sign. I don't know what the money looks like. Obviously, I guess he wasn't happy with what they were offering. I heard a rumor the issue was the contract itself. They put the signature line all the way over on the left, and he couldn't cut uh, over there. Is that what happened? Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to the, the 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 real issue apparently was, I guess, money or contract length or something. I guess he probably would have wanted mm. to sign for more years. But look, I mean, at, at age 34, uh, when you're like – 
role is coming off the bench now. I mean, it is it is what it is. You know, um, you're not going to start Ilsenio and Gagan press for 90 minutes with with him. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, how many times have you heard Ernst and Jim and other guys use the word transition? In quotes, going uh, back more often now. than the Supreme Court. We're gonna, we're gonna. Tra- this is gonna be our transition game, our transition style. I'm like, holy shit! All right, I mean, like we used to call that counterattack. Entirely different team. I know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I think back to Bob Bradley and uh, Bruce Arena. <laughs> you know, with the national team in the early '90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I think yeah. to myself, yeah, uh, we used to call that counterattacking, and everybody said, oh no, Americans not technical counterattacking. Right, yeah, right. And we're right back to counterattacking. Right, but transition is so vague. I mean, it could mean anything. It means are you trying to high press and then move forward immediately? Are you trying to sit back in a shell? Are you trying to, you know, whatever, trying to win the ball back in five seconds? Technical it's, soccer doesn't matter if you're talking about the, yeah. the clockwork orange. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Gagan pressing. It's all about controlling time and space. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I had a note written down that I wanted to make sure I got to real quick. You mentioned the, uh, the, the, the Brujo thing. I asked on the last podcast if anybody, if people could slide into my DMs and like explain to me actually what the difference is between a wizard, uh, a sorcerer, and a warlock. And I said, if you're a Dungeons and Dragons yeah. dork, just get in here and let me know. You know, and I had like seven people message me. So I'm I'm very happy. Number one, that people. Um, actually followed up on the my question. But You're very I, popular in the uh, in the Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> you know, groups. You know, it's like they get together, they it's order like, a pizza, they they play a little D and D, they listen to Always Soccer. It's like you know? the dorkest dorkiest like uh cross reference ever. So- soccer and uh D and D. But I I was, you know, thrilled that people um responded to that also that we have some D and D people and so what I, was I the verdict? I never oh they um yeah I guess I should say that right. So like a wizard I guess is like book smart. They learn all their um like a grad student spells and shit by studying yeah 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 and uh sorcerer i guess is like born with it like it's an innate mm. kind of thing they just like they have um always had it in them and a warlock uh has like a deal with the devil right like they say like i, I kind of want a warlock then i feel like that would be most effective yeah, as a you, holding mid yeah yeah because we don't care what happens after he leaves philly anyway inevitably. yeah so but i don't I was, care about players immortal souls i was happy to find that we had a bunch of uh, listeners who were D people i didn't play the actual like you know like like game itself but i was into all the those computer games back in the you know 15 years ago or whatever like uh that used the the dungeons and dragons yeah yeah, rules. yeah like uh Baldur's gate yeah all yeah those. yeah like never winter nights and shit yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah yes yeah planescape torment yeah, yeah that was old school, there's a man. new one it's called disco elysium it's made by the guys who made planescape torment it's fantastic oh no shit all right yeah. well we'll have to maybe we'll do an entire podcast on that but point <laughs> point being that was that was a difference i appreciated everybody you got you gotta ask knowledge. if there was an mls player who did make a deal with the devil that's got to be heath pierce right Right, <laughs> you're not a Heath Pierce guy, huh? No, no, I, I, uh, I could understand that. Um, so Ilsenio, Orovets, Montero, Martinez. Um, you know, I guess the the macro level question here is: you and I both having been, you know, cynical of of Jay Sugarman and the the franchise approach to spending over the years. I, I see two ways of looking at it. Number one, you can say give them some credit where credits do hey they're finally spending a little bit of money hey they had a good season last year you know we're going to be positive the glass is half full um you know transfer fees are finally like starting to to come up the the pessimist would then say well i mean they're still b- behind atlanta and they're Seattle a 2005 and team right yeah now. i mean like what they're doing now would be amazing if it was 2010 yeah or whatever you know but i i i and part of me wants to say, like, look, I just let it go. I mean, because we could perpetually be just in this state of cynicism and complain about Jay Sugarman year in, year out or whatever. Or we can just say, look, I mean, you're, this is the little bit of what you're going to get. Mm. At least, like, we can maybe give them some credit for realizing that you're going to have to spend some money on these kind of guys, you know? Like, what, where where on the spectrum of, of all of that do you, would you say you're falling right now? You know, it, the same press conference where Curtin called me out, he said he couldn't be more proud of the players. Yeah. And what struck me about that was, of course he could. If they'd won MLS Cup, he'd be 100% Or they prouder actually won him a U.S. Open Cup, I, too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think they're moving in the right direction. But I still think they're at about 2015 or so. Yeah. When you yeah. when you're talking about your highest transfer fee is $2 million, and D.C. United just spent 12 or 13 Yeah. D.C. United. 
You know? I know, I know, I know. That, that blows my mind. So where am I cynically? I want the team to do well. I want to be proven wrong every day. I, I want them to go out and, and tell show me that your approach is the smartest way to do it. Yeah. But I look at history. They talk about Moneyball. Billy Bean never won a World Series. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Um, you talk about Waterloo. The British actually outspent the French. That's, that's how they won the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, well... I, I, it, it, Sugarman... When Jay Sugarman bought the uh, bought the franchise back in 2008, it was a fundamentally different league than when the team played its first game in 2010. Seattle changed the game, and Atlanta pushed it even further. Yeah, And we may just reach a point where if you're not an NFL owner, you're just not able to compete. The money just isn't there. And especially with the new CBA negotiations going on right now, we see how much that opens up in terms of uh, designated player spots, in terms of uh, charter flights, in terms of training facilities and everything else. Salary floors. Salary floors, exactly. Like that, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, eventually you're going to have these owners, you know, like, uh, like when the Hunts owned Columbus and, you know, all the other uh, owners that want to keep things cheap. They're just not going to be able to, to have the votes anymore to keep that. Well, I think, you know, to continue from a macro perspective, mm. I think we all understand that Jay Sugarman, I mean, he says he wants to win, but I don't think he really wants to win. I think everybody is of the... Uh, he'd of, rather win than not. He'd rather, of course. Um, but as long as MLS keeps expanding and he mm -hmm. sits on the expansion committee and you watch these uh, expansion fees go up and up and up, I mean, he basically... He's, he's, he watches the value of his franchise continue to increase yeah. without having to do a damn thing. You know? He he spent thirty to thirty five million on the team when he when he got it. Yeah. Uh, most recent uh, when NYCFC came into the league, that's a threefold expansion. When Nashville came into the league, that's a tenfold expansion. You know, you show me any investment that's going to give you that kind of return. That that's insane. So I think like it's at the end of the day, really, it's just like a take it or leave it kind of scenario, isn't it? You know, it's like because I wrote that was the last story that I wrote for Philly Voice before I went to Crossing Broad was like, look, if you've if this is what Jay Sugarman is, you know, he's mm -hmm. not going to spend as much. You know, he's kind of an absentee New York kind of guy who just sees this as a pet project, a hobby for him. Do we accept that and you know just take the team for what it is? Or do you cut, cut ties and, you know, if, if you don't like it, then get rid of your season tickets and don't follow the team. But I think, like, people have kind of, after a good season last year, people say, well, it's okay, it is what it is. I mean, this is what the Philadelphia Union is. This is what the Philadelphia Union is going to be as long as he's here. It is, and you know? it, it's what kind of what the city is, too, to an extent at this point. You know, we're never going to be New York. We're yeah. never going to be D.C. We're never going to be Los Angeles. We are what we are, and we're going to have good years and bad years, and we're going to do things unconventionally. And if you accept that, then, yeah, absolutely, you support the team. I support the team every day. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, ultimately, what it comes down to is, as fans in accepting it, do we also accept less than 100% from the team and 100% from the ownership? That's what gets me. That's why it's hard to because you don't want to – you're putting your support – you know, how can how can I put 100% of myself into somebody who's not putting 100% of themselves into into the product? Exactly, you know, and that's like not to criticize the players. It. No, it's but, not. I mean, you know, yeah. it, the, the, it starts with the ownership. I mean, you look at what John Middleton's done. And obviously, it's a you know with the Phillies. You look at what Jeffrey Lurie does. I mean, that's his business. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to feel that if Jay Sugarman was uh, from Philadelphia, first off, and if secondly, if, he, if this was his primary job, because Lord knows he doesn't do that great with iStar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's you, a thought, Yeah, you would. Uh, you know, what sort of outcome would we get if he was a hundred percent committed to the team? Yeah. Well. Um, Let's actually talk about. Uh, we could do. I could do like four hours on that topic. Mm. But um, let's do an exercise because we always like to do an exercise. I was told there would be no math on the program. There's no math though. It's all right. Um, we're a week into the preseason. The games will be here sooner rather than later. So let's go through the depth chart and let's mm -hmm. see what we got here. And I also wanted to talk to after we do this. Uh, Jim said earlier this week that he could see them experimenting with some three five two. Thank God. He said he could uh, see them experimenting with some four two 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 empty buckets. So we'll put the personnel into those two shapes, and we can imagine uh, you know kind of piece mm. together how it would look. But let's just assume. 442 Diamond, which is what they played last year as of right now. And Jim, Jim says that he still thinks there's going to be a signing or two coming down the pike. But uh, let's lay it out at the top here. Let's, let's, go, uh, let's go back to front. Goalkeeper Andre Blake, mm -hmm. Joe Bendick, 
Matt Freeze. You know, I would have got I would have cut uh, Bendick over the offseason and just gone with Freeze as the backup. He's been mm-hmm. impressive the games that he's played. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even you know behind that patchwork back line with Bethlehem or U two or whatever it is now. Yeah, yeah. He, he's impressive. I like him a lot. But you want a veteran backup. Bendick is uh, especially I suppose with Blake going to be out on international duty. Bendix, yeah. you could do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, then, yes, and when he's out on international duty, then he, if he, even if he backs up freeze, mm. you know, you could do it either way. Right? That's how I, I, I would think do you it, feel yeah. comfortable either way. Yeah, left back, uh, Wagner, Real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah, I honestly expected Wagner might be sold over the uh, over the off season, so I'm yeah, glad to have him coming back. I had, it, I had kind of a feeling that they might, yeah, that they, they might, might move s- him over the summer. I wouldn't be shocked. He'd sell one of a Wagner or even Shabilko if there was if there was a demand for him. Um, mm-hmm. Left center back, uh, Mark McKenzie. Oh yeah, one one hundred percent. I can't stand Arlen Collin. <laughs> right center back, Jack Elliott. And uh, mm-hmm. right now, I mean, they only really have three center backs there, so Collin um, is the is would you know yeah. be the did, backup did of both see, spots. Um, Kaku still isn't back to playing condition after the hit Elliot put, yeah, put on. Yeah, that was a hell of a hit. That was a long time ago too, man. That yeah. was uh, October, so God, November, December, January. It's like three months. That is a long, uh, long time. Right fullback. I don't want to talk about right fullback. Yeah. Well, listen. Let's. Uh, how do? How can we talk about the Ray Gaddis thing in a way that we haven't talked about it yet? Ray Gaddis is an that... outstanding human being. He is a genuinely great guy. Even if you went to a lousy school, he he is an outstanding guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just pretend we didn't hear that. And, um, and if he if he was your backup on both, yeah, if he was your left and right backup, I'd have zero problem with him because he, he is a solid defender. Yeah, yeah. But Mbizo doesn't do anything for me. I was really hoping for a Wagner type signing on the right side this off season, and it didn't come about. And I'm not saying you want an all star caliber right back, but somebody who can get forward, somebody who can. Interplay a lot more with the with the attack, right? Because because here's the thing, and I said this on the last podcast when John was here. You know, it's it's going to look different with a, a, with a um, a traditional six on there, right? You know, Harris Madunian, not a transitional guy at all. Ray Gaddis doesn't go forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one guy can go forward, the other guy can't. One guy can go back, the other guy can't. So you you know, just keep Ray Gaddis pinned back a little bit and have him be a security blanket for a defensive midfielder who doesn't defend. So it's going to look a lot different this year when we assume, you know, Oravets and Martinez are going to be staying at home more. But that guy's not on the emphasis. Is, but that guy's not on the roster. The guy that is is yeah. going to be able to interact with with a two way uh, defensive mid yeah. is he, that guy isn't on the roster. Now I'll tell you one thing, and this piqued my interest the other day. They expect that Fabian Johnson's going to be moved by Glabach uh, during the summer. So if you're in a position where you're pushing for a top seed, mm-hmm. do you go out and actually invest in a guy who can play the wing, who can play as a wing back and as as a right-sided uh, defensive back? It would it would kind of signal a shift. Well, I mean, it would be the start of maybe something in MLS because if you think about how how many like highly paid, highly valued guys play right fullback in MLS, <laughs> you know? play defense at all? It's the old Melberg doctrine. No, it's the old, I mean that's always sort of been like a filler position in MLS if you think about it. It's like when you were playing little league baseball and you know you had like the dorky kid who would rather read a book or whatever. Say, where did you put him? You put him in like left field. Mm. You put him in right field. Or Speaking something. as a former left fielder, I, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, in, in that way, like Gaddis is, you know, Ray Gaddis is a very, you know, 2013 kind of player. I think to your earlier point mm. about Bedoya and surrounding these guys with other guys that raise their game. Like, look, the stakes are higher this year. The expectations mm. are higher for the Philadelphia Union. So, you know, back, you know, two, three, four years ago, it's like it was very easy to upgrade this position, upgrade this position. It's easy to upgrade when you're a crappy team. It's hard to make upgrade choices when you're a good team. You and know, it's you're, a, going, and you're not going from bad to good. You're trying to go from good to great. And so. it's a safety blanket for a curtain in a way because Ray Gaddis is never going to lose you a game. Ray Gaddis is never going to be the re- Ray Gaddis yeah. being the last guy back is not going to be the reason you lost a game. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. But Ray Gaddis not getting forward to interplay with Elsino with in the 90th minute. That is going to cost Ray, you a game. He, this is that's actually the perfect way to look at it. Ray Gaddis is never going to lose you a game, but. Ray Gaddis is also never going to win you a game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and to that point, like I thought he was really solid in the playoffs. Having Ray Gaddis yeah. is a little bit like having a really good defensive shortstop or something like that. Never going to cost you anything, That's but true. he's never going to hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth. He's never going to be a difference maker of a player. Yeah, that's a good compare. He's actually a very you could compare Ray Gaddis to any number of Philadelphia Phillies who were here from like 2013 to 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, Cesar Hernandez. Were you going to yeah. lose games because of Cesar? No. Nope. On this, by the way, on this podcast, I want to point out we've now compared Ray Gaddis to Ben Simmons, <laughs> Cesar Hernandez. <laughs> 
<laughs> somebody else do it. Like we compared him to some like European guy who just stays with the one lower level club for like 15 years. And then they say, thank you for your service. Yeah, but you know, he was just kind of like a guy, you know? But, no, absolutely. And he'll, he'll, you watch, he'll wind up being like uh, the, the assistant soccer coach at Newman university or uh, something. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. I mean, it's just, I, yeah, it's such a funky story. I mean, I spent so much time talking about his, his funky development and how he got screwed from right back to left back. Well, you look back which, at which him, Shane him and Williams, there's any number Shane of, of, yeah. of really solid defensive Keep, prospects we had. Yeah, yeah. And, and for whatever reason, they just don't grow in this environment, which is ironic because, you know, Curtin, I don't blame Curtin for Williams, but Curtin being a, de- a defensive player and a really good defensive player. Yeah. You know, but for whatever reason, he just he can't develop defensive players. If the season started today and they were playing the diamond, I, I assume it would be Aronson. Mm-hmm. Bedoya, Montero, and Orovets. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, is that what we're looking at here? But the que- well, the question really is: Is Montero at the ten and Aronson on the left, or is Aronson at the ten and Montero on the left? Did you notice when they flipped those guys last year? Did you notice any difference at all in how the team played? Oh yeah, absolutely. How so? Um, well, for, uh, to start off, Aronson was playing higher uh, defensively when when the other team had the ball when he was on the left. Yeah. Um, and Montero, when he was up front, was dropping far uh, was dropping farther back. In the center, mm-hmm. in order to receive the ball from Madunyanin or from Bedoya. Yeah, yeah, and that looked interesting when Montero and Fabian were on the field mm-hmm. at the same time because Fabian liked to drop deep too. Uh, Montero liked to receive kind of, receive the ball kind of in the same mm-hmm. spot, so it kind of you, you kind of got into this weird thing. It, remi- it reminded me a little bit of uh, you know, 2014. Do you remember when they played when John Hackworth played Nogueira? Brian Carroll and Maurice Adu in the four three three for the first time. Yeah, because really, we, we we you know they, they wanted Noguera. They thought he was going to be the forward guy. Carroll was going to be the holder, and Maurice mm-hmm. Adu was going to be the eight. But really, they were playing with like a six and two eights. Yep, in a four three three, and like you saw. I mean, it was it's a good it's a it was a good problem to have because you want those guys coming back and getting on the ball, but they they teach you know they want they want their number ten or their attacking midfield to kind of find like. They call it the green zone. So the green zone is kind of like the line in between the defensive midfielder and the opposing the team center, center back. Center yeah. backs. I th- I th- you know, I mean, Fabian really wasn't that guy. No. But I think Brendan did a good job of finding the ball in those spots. But he just he Brendan he just needs got, to develop. His brain moves faster than his feet. It, it does, and, and yeah. he's got yeah. to sync that up. You know, uh, Montero at the ten reminds me a little bit of when Klinsman tried to play Jose Francisco Torres at the ten. That's a good shout. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in the way yeah. that you know, he's he's a volume he, he's a volume distributor. Yeah, but not like question where he's pushing forward. It's a lateral thing. He's pushing back and then expecting him to move up. And if you're not playing with wings, yes, yeah. it's it's it, it's just not going to work. That's a good shout. Yeah, I never really thought of him as a comparison, but I I think um, you know, I I think this is this is what I think is going to play out. I think you're going to see. Yeah, because they think Brujo is going to be a project here. I think you're looking at Oravets, Bedoya, Montero, Aronson to start. You can put mm-hmm. Montero or Aronson on whatever side, and they'll probably kind of you know flip those two guys back and forth until they find what they like. I wouldn't mind seeing some of Anthony Fontana a little bit more. Anthony of him Fontana, off the bench. especially as a late sub, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. he's been very promising. And another one, uh, Jack Devry. Yes, Jack Devries. I mean, they've got him slotted as a forward right now. Mm-hmm. But if it's as a forward, it's a false nine, and I could totally yeah. see him getting some minutes at the ten, maybe in the Open Cup, maybe late in games. But you know, he could he could eat up some minutes there. I, I he's very promising, and not just because of his last name. And then <laughs> a little Dutch uh, Dutch connection there. So I, I then depth at the midfield positions. I mean, I guess we'd say Cole Turner and Warren Cravel mm. just when they need him. Is this uh, the best Union midfield? I'm saying the entire depth chart. Is this the best union midfield like ever uh i was uh, i was a big madunian i mean i, mean, I really liked what madunian gave to the team I, mm. I you know we talked a lot on this podcast about his defensive liabilities and stuff like that but i think there's a little bit of recency by bi- i don't know if recency bias is the term here or whatever but we talked so much about his defensive liabilities that i think in the first couple games this year and you'll see it in the preseason too like the possession numbers are going to look a little bit rough and to the point where people are like oh maybe you know I think they'll appreciate Madunian mm. more for what he did when they see him not here. I still think yeah. that if they had played a five-man midfield with true wingers with uh, Madunian, I, I think that would have been a much... Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he was, again, he was a player who was, uh, you know, 
his like skill set wasn't a perfect fit for the system they were going with. True, like if you if and we talked about this a bunch on here too. But if you if you think about like, like uh, Pirlo, like Pirlo in the in the Juventus three five two, where mm. they kind of had him playing deep behind. You know, you had like a like a Mar- Marquisio and uh, like a like an Arturo Vidal or something or something like that in front of him. You know, two two way guys, and then you play with like your. Bonucci and Chiellini and whoever the fuck else was on the back of Barzagli or whatever. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's really like three, you know, three guys shielding him versus... I, I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. With, with three five two, when you go from four-man backline to three-man backline, people always say, well, why are you throwing another defender on the field? Well, you're not really... When you play three five two, you're you're really going from four defenders mm-hmm. to three because wing wing backs aren't... Like you shouldn't really think about it. It's like, well, why are you going to put another center back on the field? Well, really, you're only playing with three defenders instead of four. It's more of an three five two is more of an attacking formation than four four two. It's in people a, in who a way, only know, you know the game from uh, from FIFA, and they're like, okay, he's listed as a defender. He must be a defender. But yeah. I think the the larger point is it's going to come down to the distribution skills of Orovets or Brujo, which it's, are complete unknowns. E- at this exactly. Point. But yeah. until we know what those distribution skills are, we can assume they're defensive mids. They can play defense. That's right. But what are their distribution skills? How deep? Are the other midfielders going to have to come to receive the ball? That's going to be your question. And interestingly enough, too, I think Jack Elliott and Mark McKenzie are both really good passers. Jack Elliott is a superb passer. So when you think about less of the play necessarily needing to be, I mean, everything went through Madunian in last year, right? So if mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to go through an Oravets or a Martinez or something like that, you know, you see McKenzie get up and Elliott get up and push into that hole and play those line splitters. McKenzie had a, a ridiculous pass when he was playing with the youth national team like a year ago that made me say, oh shit, this guy really has M- it. McKenzie does, he's got the skills. And, you know, yeah. honestly, if this was a Philadelphia Union team of, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, yeah. you'd have Jack Elliott playing defensive mid anyway. No, it's true. It's very true. All right, let's 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 before we get too far ahead. Yeah. Uh, strikers. I, I mean, I I still think it's Santos and Casper up up top. If if I'm starting the season today, because I just again we saw the Shabilko and Vooten thing last year, and it's just redundant in the terms of they're both hold up kind of guys I don't I don't know I mean I mean I'm not I wouldn't yeah. say well we're going to give up on it based on like four games of last year or whatever the hell I'd like to see it again but I mean if you're looking at complimentary pieces you're like I'm, I'm a believer in like kind of like the smaller faster guy and the one hold up guy uh, one, play four, yeah 100 percent yeah so, so I would say Santos and Casper on on either side and then Vooten I would you know Santa, put put more into in the it plays more like Cashper than when Santos was impressive. He was by far the best striker the Union had. Uh, Casper is consistent, but you wonder how much of that was the product of the midfield and how much of that was him making his own shot. I never saw him really create his own shot. Yeah, I yeah. think the Union striker core this year is going to be defined by what they get out of Andrew Wooten. Andrew Wooten yeah. has the potential to be a top striker in MLS. I don't think Casper's going to hit the same number of goals this year as he had last year. Yeah. And I think Wooten has the potential to be that guy for a number of years. So when we're trying to put these guys into a 4-2-2-2 or a... Or a um you know, a three-five-two or something. I mean, I, an empty bucket. They, this team hasn't played like empty buckets since 2011, man. I mean, you remember how they? I don't came. think anybody in MLS has played empty buckets. No, it's because it's, it's such a like odd formation because you're playing like playing with two D mids and two wingers. Really, I feel um, like it just transitioned out of the game generally between the 2010 World Cup and the 2014. Like you saw a bunch of teams in 2010, yeah. and you saw nobody in 2014. You well, know? and it's well, ironically then. Peter Novak rolled it out in 2011 because they had a team that was okay. So back to front. It well, that was, was what he played in the in the Olympic qualifiers, and and yeah. that's what got him the job. Yeah, my, so it was it was Mondragon of Shane and or, I'm sorry, Jordan Harvey, mm-hmm. Carlos Valdez, Danny Kale of Shane and Williams, Shea Salinas. Uh, yeah, he could play up 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 front on the. Oh, oh, well, that's well, that was 2010. Here, here's the 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's 11, the 20. Yeah. Here's the 20. Let's just use a 2011 template. Yeah. So it was like then Migler, Anzi, Brian Carroll. And then you had Justin Mapp on the left. They actually started the season with Kyle Nakazawa playing yeah, on the yeah. right side. And then they had Latou and Carlos Ruiz up there. Yeah, because they were trying to push everything up the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if, if I'm trying to look at it. And then I the fans think, scared off Ruiz. And... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> didn't have anything to do with anything else, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if I'm looking to play. Okay, so 4-2-2-2 is a way to get Elsino on the field. So, if you'd say you put him up on the right and, like, who would play on the left? Would you, would you play, like, Bedoya and El Senior, your guys? And then you'd have, like, 
uh, would it be Montero and Oravets hold, holding? I don't. I don't. I. I. I it's. I it's. Know. I just don't see with this group. I just don't see how Bucket works, and I don't see how. I, I feel like it, three five two. I feel like uh, you know, uh, straight four four two. Yeah. You know, the diamond honestly fits the fits the uh, fits the personnel a lot better. And then if you transition to empty Bucket, it's going to be when you know when you're seeding the midfield and you're attempting to you know trap them offside yeah i mean i think you look at it you're saying there's like six number eights on here Mm -hmm. Uh, six guys who could play the eight aronson bedoya turner montero cravalve martinez i guess and even orovets could probably say it just i I know uh, some guy was making fun of me for saying shuttler like 15 times on one podcast that's that's the role that's like what they what these guys are and what they can do i four two 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 seems kind of I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued to see see what it is, but I mean, I got to think of it in a more progressive, uh, Ernst Tanner kind of way, not a Peter no- yeah. Peter Novak 2011 kind I, of way. I think but. if you look at the if you look at the sequence of uh, formations that the Red Bulls have gone through in the last, let's say, six years, yeah, I think that's sort of the route the Union are going through because ultimately their playing style, their attacking style, is going to look like the Red Bulls because that's the dynamic that Ernst is coming from. Yeah, yeah, it's very true that that Red Bull. Whole glo- yeah. global system and the way they play. It's I mean, very, it's, very, fir- it's so ger- it's so German. I, I don't you know, have a so. fundamental problem with that. No, I don't. I don't either, it's, it's so. I mean, the, the Germans like we, I was saying with John when he, when he was here a couple weeks ago. But it's like it's they look at things just so pragmatically, pragmatically and systemically. And that's that's yeah. like I mean, the Union have been in need of pragmatism for the longest amount amount of time. You know, well, if you, pragmatism if, is is not is the exact opposite of signing Raiz and Mboli. If you, know, you can't a, afford art. You have to go with science, you know. The <laughs> union can't afford art. They can't afford. They can't yeah. afford like, uh, you know, like artis- artisanal strikers. They need to go with mass-produced target type players. But they you can't know? afford artisano. Yes, they by, can't afford artisano by Sarah Lee. Um, Nobody I, does it like Sarah Lee. If, it's, if, if you ha- so, I'm like trying to think of how like a three-man backline would work. I mean, you could you could you could do something like this. You could have Elliot kind of as, as the anchor in like mm-hmm. the Chiellini role. You could put McKenzie like or, or well, I mean, well, let's just say you do it this way because Elliot plays right center back. Mm-hmm. You could have him play RCB. You could have McKenzie play CB. You could have Wagner play like a fake LCB. Mm-hmm. And then I don't I don't I don't know it. But again, what is three at the back? I mean, he just said that you they could also with three if, at the back. He didn't say it would be a three five two or. A, yeah. Three one four. What the fuck? The, if he's talking about that and talking about empty bucket at the same time, he can also drop Orovitz or Martinez into the middle between the two uh, center mids. Yeah, yeah, cut yeah. out the outside backs and then have nothing but uh, shuttlers on the rest of the midfield and two attackers. Up I would have liked to see it with Madunian and kind of playing like the Michael Bradley role that that he was doing in Toronto, where you know in the build up play, you know, want the center center back. We just call it the CB. Like yeah. we say, LCB, CB, and RCB. The CB just moves to the left or right wherever the space is, and then the D mid drops back and kind of like it looks like a four man backline in the buildup, and then your eight kind of pulls back. It's kind of like a fake. Well, you talk about trap looking kind you, of thing, you know? which brings us back to 2011 because that's what Novak tried to do with Migs in the playoffs. This, yeah, and it looked like a ridiculous like, sweep, never done sweeper kind of thing because they never done it. But I, I, I understood what they yeah. were trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, let me just go through my notes here and make sure we didn't miss anything here. What, oh, I said I was going to do a shark cordless vacuum review. Somebody asked for that. I did that on Twitter, so you can look up that video there. Oh, I wanted to make one comparison here. See, I was trying to think of a better way to explain this on the podcast, and this is the best thing I could come up with. So I know you know you already made your West Virginia dig uh, for the podcast. If you can uh, come up with a Kutztown gig, go uh, dig, go right ahead. I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Andre Reed is the only guy I know who went there, right? Or Reed Ryan Rising. Vogel song too. Oh, okay, all right. It was Andre Reed. Andre right? Reed, Not yeah. And Andre um, so you know, interestingly enough, like with last year was kind of like that funky transitional year you get in between, you know, um, you know, sporting directors or coaches or stuff like that. And uh, the best like comparison I can give you, I thought this was an apt comparison that I think some people would be able to understand. When I was in at West Virginia, John Beeline was the head coach, coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, recruited shooters, guys who could score, perimeter, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, Bob Huggins comes in, takes over for him. It could not could not be the any more of an opposite of coach. Mm-hmm. Just recruited like big body JUCO transfer kind of guys who could go rebound, big and ten d- guys, defend and stuff like that. Yeah. So when you had those that one year, two years between the two of those guys, Huggins had his defensive guys with John Beeline shooters, and we went to the Final Four that year, and that was the perfect blend of like guys who are going to be dogs on defense, but they can shoot and they can score. 
that's what the union were last year. Yeah. They were in that transitional phase between two different kinds of styles where you had a little bit of the finesse of a Medunian of a, uh, um, you know, that possession game where they could kind of like hold the ball and ping it around and, and Medunian could quarterback or point guard or whatever. But, you know, in guys like, like Wagner and whatever and Santos, they did have some like bulldog very German playing two-way gagging pressing looking dudes out there. Well, that's absolutely. I mean, it, you look at any of the truly successful teams around the world. I mean, you have to have those stylistic differences. If you don't, you, it, one tr- uh, one different tactical shift, and you can be shut down completely. Yeah. Look at what happened to Barca when uh, teams figured out how to deal with Tikitaka. Didn't yes. matter how good your players were, if you clogged the midfield, they couldn't pass around it. And you know, I mean, you and I have talked soccer for years now. You know, I'm not like a Tikitaka guy from the sense of it's not that I'm it's not that I'm anti that it's just that like for the longest time people were always throwing around this bullshit like well Barcelona plays the game the right way blah 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 like there's only one way to fucking play the game only Ajax plays the game the right way yes yes according to you only Ajax plays the game total football (laughs) the Dutch Dutch way but I mean the point being to wrap that up like I, I don't it's it's uh, you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder you know and to your point at the very beginning of the podcast about Philip Lom you know people don't appreciate defense or defenders the way they do you know people aren't going to look at Stoke City the way that they look at Barcelona but to me there was some like raw beauty in the way that Rory Delap threw the ball forty fucking yards into the box and somebody would get a Peter Crouch would get a head on him. <laughs> you know it was it was a different kind of, of there that, there but. is a particular beauty to a rainy night in Stoke so I think the whole point of my West Virginia comparison is that I hope that people do kind of appreciate the uniqueness of what the union were last year and how they played and what Madunian did. Cause we can say all this stuff about Madunian and transition defense. And God knows that like I hammered him when he was like pointing to center backs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because as, as somebody who's played center back, like my entire life, like it's the most annoying thing mm-hmm. in the world to watch your defensive midfielder say, Hey, the, uh, this guy right here. I'm like, that is your guy. Do it's it's going to be fascinating to see what Cincinnati does with him. It, it's, yeah, it's really, yeah. you know, because we've only ever seen him in MLS in the Philadelphia system. Yeah. How another coach approaches bringing out his skill set and covering for his defensive liabilities. Yeah. It's, I honestly think it's going to be illuminating about Jim Curtin to see how another coach approaches well, great. that. I mean, I love it, yeah, because we sit here and say, like, one of the, the arguments I have, one of the discussions with the Sixers all the time now that I'm doing that is like, well, what would Ben Simmons look like without Joel Embiid? What would Joel Embiid look like without Ben Simmons? What if they probably were coached, still a big hair. What if they were coached by Jay Wright or whatever the hell? In the case of Harris Medunian, like we're going to get to find out how another team's going to do it and how they're going to try to mask its liabilities on that side. They gave up more goals than anybody last mm-hmm. year. So, bringing um, in Medunian in, in that case can only his, help. Bringing in a sieve <laughs> is like very interesting. But I, I, I think people are going to come to appreciate more of what Harris did when – they don't when you don't see him history is going to treat him kinder than the news did yeah exactly so um all right you want to play words that end in the letter a we haven't done one of these in a while i i feel like some people are into this and some people aren't but oh it's baxter baxter doesn't end with an a re-enters no it doesn't as he re-enters the studio i was disappointed that dave zeitlin didn't want to play this this is a very controversial um oh is that my daughter over there hey baby hey cammy hello why don't you come in here did you just wake up from your nap can you say da 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 da? da, 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 da. Can you say Cruyff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't need to be one of her first words. Cam, you just woke up. You don't want to say anything, huh? All right. Well, maybe we'll get you on the podcast at uh, at some point one of these days, huh? All right, baby girl. It was good radio. It was good. This is great radio. Yeah, <laughs> dead silence as my daughter as my daughter just stares. You watch. You watch her. <laughs> her first word is going to be Cruyff. Now yeah, you I, watch. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. Um, yeah. So, where is it ending in the letter A? It's kind of a controversial. Either people either love or hate this segment, but we're going to do it uh, anyway. You know why? Because it's my podcast, and I can do it whatever the fuck I want. So, um, as you know, words that end in A, I'm going to give you a clue, and you're going to have to pronounce it in a British accent, as Arlo White would do with, uh, for example, like Paul Pogber. Pogber. All right. So, um, the first word, this is a Star Wars character, and there's a very popular baby version of him that just came out. Oh, that's Baby Yoder. Baby Yoder is correct. All right. This is an item you can get uh, at Taco Bell. It's the cheesy blank crunch is it an enchilada no it, uh, it's the cheesy gordita gordita 
<laughs> I laughed way too hard about my own fucking joke. It's like the corniest thing. Yes, cheesy gordita crunch. Um, this was the uh, state that I went to college in that you made fun of. Oh, West Virginia. West Virginia is correct. It's almost heaven. This is uh, a type of beer, and it's also the name of a, of a virus that's going around right now. Oh, it's a coroner. The coroner virus is correct. Okay, and this one is for you. This guy is uh, Ajax's goalkeeper. <laughs> God, why am I blanking right now? My brain just shut did down. I write, did I write down the right guy? It's uh, Onaner. Oh, Andre Onaner. Andre Onaner. Hashtag I miss Jasper. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so let's do some. Let's take some questions here. Where are we at? We're at like fifty minutes. Perfect. We'll do ten minutes of questions, and we will wrap this bad boy up. Okay. I was hoping for the crossing broads comment section, but uh, oh, I, did, I know I didn't do a. Um, I didn't. I hadn't written a new soccer yeah, story. Let's take since the then, questions. So yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this is from uh, Dave Zeitlin. Uh, he says, hi, I love the show. On a scale from Orozco Fiscal to Valdez, uh, how much do you miss those exciting preseasons when the team would ship guys away after they showed up at YSC at the start of camp? We really have come a long way in the preseason department. We don't even get into fist fights with uh, Puerto Rican teams anymore. <laughs> so, we're not Costa Rican. We're not, we're not fighting. We don't have Brian Carroll of all people. You know, you know what the funniest thing about that fight was? This was with uh, Belen uh, down in Costa Rica. If Brian Carroll is like throwing punches and kicks at you, then you know that somebody fucked up. Absolutely, because he's like the nicest dude on the planet. And like, if if he's like annoyed at something, that and Keon Daniel as well is like the most chill dude of all time. So something must have. Maybe we'll you have an, to be chill to let people do that to your hair. Maybe we'll maybe um, we'll do an oral history on that on that fight. Or something. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, it feels like so long ago that like Carlos Valdez was showing up in street clothes on the first day, and they were doing the two weeks at YSC, and then they'd go to Florida. Now they just do the one week, and then they well, remember out, they toured in Greece they, because the the yes. people who do the countertops paid for them to like play a match in their hometown. Yes, yes, yeah. And I remember I was sitting in this very oh no, I was I wasn't living in this house yet. I was sitting in like my apartment or whatever at the time doing a, a conference call with Peter Novak live from like Crete or something like that. I couldn't hear a goddamn thing on the phone because it was Corfu. Oh, okay. I think in the back of my mind, I think it was Corfu. Okay, so wrong island, but the right uh, region of the world. But yeah, I mean, look, they've buttoned it up so much. It's not like, you know, five trialists in here who are all, who don't know the system and who are just kind of like question marks. I mean, they just, they just go into these seasons. They're making, you know, signings in December. Yeah, that's insane. Which was never a thing, you know what I mean? So, uh, Matt says, uh, my guy bracelet thrower who uh, appreciated my Philadelphia Eagles grindcore album idea. Um, <laughs> he says, I don't think enough was made about Coronel going from playing for Steel at LaSalle University to a Champions League appearance in October. Uh, where does this rank in the union's all-time strangest moments? Crazy, isn't it, man? Carlos Miguel Coronel mm. back up here on loan, and then he's playing against Liverpool. Like, he didn't he play in the? He played against Liverpool, I think, in that group, right? Yeah, yeah. But Je- he played Jesse against Marsh. he played against Liverpool. But I, uh, is it stranger that he went from the Union to that, or stranger he went from only playing for the Union in the Open Cup to I know, that? <laughs> I know that that game where Steele played at LaSalle was like. He's going from playing like a, on a college field here to like playing it's at barely. An, a I think college it was at Anfield. I think he played at Anfield. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, that was something else. Um, Craig says, "What's up with the union in securing green cards? Seems like the newer teams are better at helping players get a hold of them much quicker." Yeah, the, like three dudes in Atlanta got their green cards like right away, and uh, Jack Elliott. Um, does he have his green card? Uh, I believe he does, but of course he played college ball. Oh, right. So. I'm sorry. Um, El Sino, I guess he finally. I can't. God, I'm like oh, this is not a lot. Of, El Sino may not, but again, his holdup might have been because he was playing in Ukraine. That's uh, very you true. Know, it's. It, it, I, I actually work a little bit in edu- in uh, immigration, and I worked a, with a little bit with immigration. I feel back like you'd in, be good at this. I was topic. in D.C. Yeah. and uh, the union. You know, it, it's it's sort of like how teams have like f- always have freaky injuries. The union, that's just their thing. They have. Freaky immigration status. Dave says, is it concerning that Martinez and Montero still don't have their visas? This was like two days ago, I think, mm. actually. We, we know that they do, that it's, yeah, it's all good. It's going to be all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's okay. I mean, like, you know, those guys were, you know, Montero, for all intents and purposes, was, yeah, I mean, he was, yeah, it was, he was just yeah, and renewing. And then um, uh, the other one was coming in from Venezuela. And, of course, that's going to be a more drawn-out process considering the political situation there. Connor uh, just says, hashtag sexy season. Um, so my question with that is, 
When can we get some? Yeah. Um, number one, it's cool that the Larimer did that with the beer. Look, I mean, some people might look at these things and they might roll their eyes and say, like, well, some guy made a funny thing and we've turned it into a beer or whatever. But you, you need these kind of, like... Um, quirky kind organic of moments. organic social media moments. I mean, like think about how, how many of those the Sixers have had over mm-hmm. the years. Like, let's raise the cat over yeah. top of our head. Well, you know, we, like we, had the, we had the sheep, we had the lamb in the yeah. open cup. And, you know, a lot of the traditions that we think of as, oh, these staid traditions, you know, singing You'll Never Walk Alone or Forever Blowing Bubbles, that was just some dude in the crowd started singing that a hundred years ago yeah. and you know that's where it comes from uh, you know you don't know what's going to turn organic and that's why efforts like with Fang or, or you know Gold Blooded or those sorts of things that the team or Adidas tries to make a tradition yeah. it's why they don't last and why they seem so you know I won't say offensive, but you know they're they're against your sensibilities. Well, it seems like it's they're not organic, of, right? Because it's somebody kind of like trying. To, yeah, you're trying to force something in, and and those things have to just develop on their own. They just have to kind of happen. Exactly. You know? and, and if you have if you have like these, but here's, here's the thing: the thing why these these things kind of happen in the NBA frequently, and uh, um, you you have to consider like as much as there's all this like bullshit that goes on. Like here, like last night I was at the Lakers Lakers Sixers game, and Jesus. Fucking Christ! There's like, first of all, there's like ten thousand media members mm. who were down there. Gucci Mane walks in wearing a blue like, uh, like purple. A I think I saw a picture. Like, ro- <laughs> yeah. Robe. He looks ridiculous. His wife looks ridiculous. Who looked more there's ridiculous, these... him or Eskin? Uh, I'm not gonna. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna comment on that. This that's another podcast for another time. I think everybody can take a hint. Uh, with my response to that. But <laughs> point being is there's all this like BS and all this fanfare. It's about like what shoes you're wearing and your ripped jeans and you know all these there's all this like talking. You're allowed to go down and stand around on the court before the game. And you're like this is all like extraneous bullshit. But it results in it creates this world where like there's like this Instagram world and social media and like young kids are like engaged and they buy into that stuff. And that's how you have these kinds of things that that start. You know what I mean? And, like, MLS could benefit from that kind of stuff to a point where, like, if you pull, if you try to bring in, like, the cultural side of it, Instagram, MLS TikTok, is not part of that you know, crapple, you know? The, the European leagues, the Mexican leagues, all of those are more part of the cultural milieu than, than MLS is because yeah. MLS tries so hard to be a controlled, closed environment. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that was interesting. I'm like, they could use a little bit of this NBA craziness if you temper that a little yeah, bit yeah. and add, add it to you. Yeah. Um, Jared says, do you see Blake being challenged for the starting spot at all? Not this year, but you know it's it's the it's the biggest shame in the world on some level when Blake broke his hand in the final of the Gold Cup. If he doesn't break his hand there, he's he's absolutely sold to Europe after that performance. I know that I, was the high water mark for Andre Blake, and I feel so bad for him because that was honestly, if he stays in the game, they have a decent shot at winning that game. They do, and it's yeah, it's sad, man. I feel like that. Sh- I feel like the ship has sailed. Not just I he's going to be a career union, MLS keeper. He might get to you know Scandinavia yeah. or something like that, but that's going to be it. Um, Chap says uh, interesting article out today from Clean uh, Clean uh, Matt McLean at Philly Sports Network. Um, do you think adapting to a new style of play last year led to some of Blake's decline? Uh, so I read I, as preparation. I read the article. It was about it was an interview with the new uh, goalkeeper coach Phil Wedden. Uh, Phil Wedden. I uh, was talking about how you know when you, when you. Um, playing higher um and in this you know system this very german system that uh, goalkeepers typically have to be better with the ball at their feet Mm -hmm. there's gonna be more you know teams are going to attack it but they're going to play more stuff over the top so it's kind of like the lines in between the area in between the goalkeeper and the back line is more important blake's going to be in higher positions this year he's going to have to play with his feet Mm. Blake, Do you so, see yeah, that as a Blake, mm-hmm. now? I prefer the sweeper keeper type of play. Manuel Neuer, Jasper Sillison, that that style, yeah. where the keeper plays higher, almost as a third center back. Um, Blake's an athlete; he's a shot stopper, and that's how he's always played. And I think he does have the athleticism yeah. to pick up that system. But he's had, if you look back, going back to Connecticut. He's had no exposure to that sort of play. That's true, yeah. Domestic, true. international, doesn't matter. He's never had to play that way. Um, Aiden says, who makes a leap this year and who regresses? Casper regresses. Agree. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to actually say Bedoya makes a leap. I think this will be Bedoya's most productive MLS season. Because he's not anchored to Madunian and he doesn't always have to keep an eye out 
over his shoulder saying, you know, is my defense, where's my defensive mid? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think he's going to get forward more. I think he's going to be able to, to roam a lot more. And I think he's going to, at times even slot in, not officially, but I think he's going to come into that 10. Cause I expect Montero's going to drop back a little bit and Bedoya is going to come in right behind the striker. He's more of a right. Yeah. Cause if you look at Montero as a guy who wants to drop back, who wants to get on the ball, uh, that's not Ali's game. He'll do it occasionally, yeah. but he's not, he does. He wants to get forward up into that. Well, right. When he first side. came in, they tried him at the 10 and he wound in and, and it's exactly like and you've been he, saying. he said him yeah he came out and he had that famous like quote he's like i'm not a number 10 you know we got like a mm-hmm. ton of mileage out of well, that Klinsman quote, tried you know? tried it with him and then um, and then tried him as a six too. And, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, honestly yeah. if i if i if i had my way i'd actually uh convert him to a right back and give him another 10 years you're not the only person who said that people have kind of you know, spitballed on the idea of of him you know playing that i mean it's an interesting case study. To, or it's interesting because there's not a ton of. I, I I would be interested in looking at numbers of at um at the amount of guys who go from D mid to a fullback position versus go from uh, a fullback position to like a, a D mid when they're older. You know, mm. because I think that the common knowledge is like. You know, in attacking sense, guys who played like on the wing mm. forever, like they can come in and save their legs a little bit by playing as like a ten. You know, they try to do it with Elcino. I try yeah, to do it with Elcino, exactly. like he's been a right-sided player, I played think, right fullback, yeah. and then he ends up in the middle. But that's not really where a- he is. Ali's so. still got the legs to do it. You know that that's the key I think thing. So, yeah. And you think like uh, Thomas Muller when he first came in, came in as a uh, came in as a right back and got shifted up to uh, attacking mid and eventually to striker. Yeah. So I mean, going the other way, Ali still got the legs to do it he's got the field vision and the intelligence to direct the entire game from back there yeah and that's that's what i honestly i think he could get another 10 years in the league if he moved back there it's interesting yeah um i'd like to look more into like the the uh you know just the history of guys moving inside to outside mm. whether it's winger to 10 or whether it's from six to fullback or fullback to six uh, lom actually might be a good guy to look at with that absolutely um yang gang banger says um still kind of iffy on aronson starting for the whole year I uh, think he's promising, but I don't uh, think he's there yet. Any MLS vets out there to compete with him start on occasion. Uh, Union should bring back Roland Alberg uh, for some extra attacking threats. Uh, parentheses slightly serious. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if here's the way I would I would then turn that into something. If they do go out and make one more signing, where do we think it's going to be? Do we think that's what it is? Um, I, I think you could bring in, it'll be, like a 10, you, like a 10? it'll be, a, it'll be a veteran. It'll be reasonably priced. I honestly, they, the, Ajax was looking to move Sim de Jong earlier this year. Now they're not going to, <laughs> but seriously, if, if I could get any signing in the world. Yeah. I honestly think though, it's going to be, you're going to have, um, Fontana, you're going to have Aronson and you're going to have DeVries and between the three of them. I think they're gonna. That's gonna be where you find that. There's also a chance that one of the two holding mids winds up playing better on one of the wings, and you leave Montero up there the whole season. It's true. They got a lot of moving parts in there. I'm interested to see how that. It's just the two two signings that we know absolutely nothing about Brujo and uh, Orovets, and until we know more about them, we really can't say how the midfield's going to shape up. Trey says, uh, any signs of the U making another impactful move? I mean, uh, Curtin says they're probably going to do something else. I don't know how impactful it'll be if they already spent $2 million on Montero and $1 million on Oravets, So um, I don't think it'll be anything before the summer, if then. No, if, if anything, maybe another Montero kind of thing where you're four, three or four games yeah. in and then they like, get some other guy on Well, your question is, too, do they wind up selling anybody over the summer? Because if they free up some money doing yeah. that, maybe they bring somebody in. So Rich says, who will be the first union player sold overseas for a multi-million dollar return? And you can't answer uh, the U12 team, which is tearing it up right now. Um, Kai Wagner. Kai Wagner. I, th- I would agree with that for sure. Um, Jared says, uh, do you think the Union have enough in the attacking midfield? With the- okay, so these are kind of getting repetitive. Yeah. Um, do they have enough in the attacking midfield with Aronson, Fontana, and Ilsenio? I mean, I-, I think a platoon – well, I think the X factor is Montero, yeah. Because, I mean, originally before, before Montero was re-signed, I think you were looking at kind of like a platoon of Aronson and Fontana. And before, I would have said, ah, it doesn't seem like enough. But I think Montero showed enough in spurts last year as a four-two-three-one guy that he can be. He does have some vision and some chops. Oh up no, he there, could you know? he could play again. And if he was Union playing ex- three years ago, he's the ten. He's the ten. I mean, if he's playing exclusively in that role, and, then I could see him. Shining. And how much of a jump do, do we expect that Aronson's going to make? He's with the national team right now, and 
guys that age, you know, you can make a big jump in a single offseason or over the course of a season. And the Union also don't have a good history with these young players coming back in their second year. You know, Or coming back from national team camps. National team trustee <laughs> Rosenberry. Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in that. All right, well, that's all the questions we have. Um, I did I have kind of an announcement. Not really. I alluded to last time that I thought I was going to have an announcement. What I can tell you is that uh, I'm working with another podcast on an event at the Larimer for the season opener. Um, originally, I think what we were interested in doing was just doing another live podcast. For, for, I'm sorry, for the home opener and making it bigger and better and just getting more people involved and having more giveaways and stuff like that. But there is an opportunity to make it uh, more significant and like a recurring kind of thing. Uh, that's all I can really say right now. I don't want to jinx it because we're like in very early preliminary talks about what we were, were trying to do. Um, but we're looking to establish something consistent at the brewery that would involve it's always soccer and some other people. So yeah, that's you, it's not it's not going to be firm until you get in, it's always lager in Philadelphia. It's always lager in Philadelphia. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe we can get a, an IASIP-themed uh, beer or something like that. I also uh, started and... Uh, um, an endeavor. I, I was thinking about a couple years ago about how Dave and I did the equipment drive for Always Soccer. Um, uh, Rick was a part of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I remember how great people were with that and how many people were interested in chipping. And I'm like, you know, why don't, why don't I try to do it? One of the things I wanted to do this year, um, be it for Crossing Broad or Always Soccer, was to try to take my platform and do some kind of charity thing with it. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, everybody was so, was great with donating to the podcast, so why don't we try to do something uh, where we can like make some money for somebody else, you know? And uh, so I have an idea that a merchandise related idea that I'm in like very early talks. Uh, it's in very early in the creative process that I feel like people would enjoy and participate in. And maybe we can raise a couple hundred bucks for like a Starfinder or a Kensington SC or something like that. So I'm, I should hopefully have news on that and on the Larimer thing, um, the next podcast or next two podcasts. But uh, moving parts and trying to get those all wrapped up at this point. Uh, final word. What do you uh, want to say? You know, honestly, I'm just waiting for the season to start. I'm really excited. Uh, people get on me sometimes for being negative and being cynical, but this team and has given me a lot, reconnected me with my brother, met my wife through the team, there met Kevin, made a lot, met yeah, a lot Karen, of my best uh, friends. Karen, who was uh, who uh, contributed to my oral history on <laughs> the uh, Sons of Ben. Yeah, yeah so I, I love this team, and I would love to see this team be massively successful, as I would love to see you, Kevin, and this podcast be That's massively what I'm talking successful. About, man. Well, this is episode number 98 of It's Always Soccer. We can only go above and beyond from here. So, Richard McGarn, thank you for coming in, my man. It Kevin? was great to do a podcast radio with you again, taking it back to 2012 or so much fun. I, I, thirteen or whatever the hell that was. Yeah, I just hope I haven't let Dave down, you know, holding down this chair. <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> Anybody, uh, everybody is invited to do the podcast. I will not rest until I get everybody uh, down here at some point in Fishtown live. Thank you for coming to Fishtown, my man. Thank you, the listener, for listening. <laughs>